Good morning, Forest Hill family. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Michael Talercio. It's been a while since I've been with you, I feel like. It's about a, almost a week now, and um, I'm, I'm glad to be back with you as we are looking at first not first, Second Chronicles chapter 13. It's been that long that I don't even remember what book we're in. No, I'm just kidding. Second um, Chronicles 13 for today. Let's ask for the Lord's help as we go to his word, that he would bring it into our minds and into our hearts and into the very fiber of our being, beings uh, throughout this week and into the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have blessed us with a word from your word in today's reading. We pray, Lord, that it would be opened up to us by your Holy Spirit, who has graciously authored this word for your people, not only at the time that it was written, but even down to the age that we live in today and and beyond us, Lord. We will come to pass, and your word will continue to go forward. May that be something that refreshes us today as we see uh, what what this passage actually says. And we pray this for Jesus' glory, that we would glimpse who he is, what he's like, from today's word. For his glory we pray. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 13. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle against him with 800,000 chosen mighty warriors. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zemaram, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord, and certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, because you are a great multitude and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made you for gods. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made priests for yourselves like the peoples of other lands? Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are not gods. But as for us... The Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. We have priests ministering to the Lord who are sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices, set out the showbread on the table of pure gold, and care for the golden lampstand that its lamps may burn every every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Behold, God is with us at our head, and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Jeroboam had sent an ambush around to come upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And they cried out to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout, 
And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there fell slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed, because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages, and Jeshanah with its villages, and Ephron with its villages. Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him down, and he died. But Abijah grew mighty. And he took fourteen wives and had twenty-two sons and sixteen daughters. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the story of the prophet Iddo. What do we do with somebody who does something good, but who is himself a questionable figure? What do you do with something like that? You discard the good things that people do, knowing that those people themselves might not be great or honorable figures. It's a question for us to consider in light of today's passage, because Second Chronicles 13 presents a very great picture of Abijah to us. What he does in today's passage is good. Although Abijah himself is not a great guy, or at least not a great king. If you were with us when we looked at 1 Kings chapter 15, you might remember that, as it says in verse 3 there, Abijah walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. See, Abijah is not a great king, but he does something great today. And I don't think we're meant to read 1 Kings first and then read Second Chronicles afterward and think, well, this guy's a pretty bad king, so everything that he does is therefore wrong, and what he does today is bad. I think it's pretty clear from our reading in Second Chronicles 13 today that what this man Abijah does is good. It's instructive for us. And just a simple connection we want to take is that we don't discount or discredit good things that bad people do. If you know somebody, for instance, maybe even somebody in the church that once wrote a good book who him or herself, let's say, if it's an author, walked away from the faith at a later time, it doesn't mean you can't still learn something from the book that they wrote years before. There's still good things that people say and do, even if they're non-Christians, just to put it basely. And we can still learn from those things. What we don't want to do is suggest that because those people wrote or said or did good things that they're automatically Christian. But we shouldn't just discount or discredit good things that bad people do. We would be discounting everything that everybody has ever done except for Jesus. So it's just a side comment here. Now, what Abijah does in today's passage that's good is he speaks truthfully to Jeroboam and the people of Israel about what he, Abijah, and the people of Judah with him have been doing since the kingdom of Israel split into the ten northern tribes called Israel, ruled by Jeroboam, and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, ruled now by Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, who was king when the kingdom split. So we have Jeroboam 
and Abijah going to war with each other. And in fact, the previous chapter said uh, that there were wars continually between um, Jeroboam and the, the people of, of Judah, now Abijah being the king of Judah. So, preemptively, before a battle now takes place between Jeroboam and Israel and Judah and Abijah, Abijah sends word to Jeroboam and the people of Israel, warning them not to. It's like a sermon almost. He goes up on top of Mount Zemaraim and he speaks to them and says, don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the kingship over, uh, over Israel forever to David and his sons? Meaning the, the kingdom proper is now belongs to Judah, David being from the tribe of Judah. And he gave that by a covenant of salt. We don't exactly know what that means. We know that salt was used in certain sacrifices uh, back in Numbers, as it says here, Numbers 18. It tells us a little bit about that. Uh, it's also been said throughout history that it was an Arab practice to make a covenant when a covenant was made. It would be made between two kings and they would eat salt in some form or fashion with one another. That it was a kind of a binding sort of tradition. Um, so we're not exactly sure what's meant there, but nevertheless, we understand that a covenant was made not just with anybody from Israel, any king, but with David, David being from the tribe of Judah. And so it's David's family line, not Jeroboam, who's not related to David in any real hard and fast sort of way, not Jeroboam, but David, who would be the king over Israel proper even though now Israel seems to belong to Jeroboam and it's Judah and Benjamin who are part of under who are under Abijah's rule Abijah being a descendant of David Abijah is reasoning with Jeroboam and Israel and he's saying hey do you see we are the ones who are still keeping the Lord's word we are we still have levites and priests set up for us our priests are from the tribe of Levi, as God had told us that they should be. And they're still offering sacrifices appropriately. They're still putting out the bread for the show bread. They're still doing what God commanded them to do. And what are you guys doing? You guys have walked away from following the Lord. You've served these calf gods, these two calves, that not just one calf, but two that Jeroboam has made for you. Do you expect the Lord to uphold you in battle against us? We are actively pursuing and relying on the Lord, and you aren't. So these are wise words. This is a good thing that Abijah does by speaking these words to the people of Israel. He's trying to get them to, to reason out. We are the Lord's people because, one, we belong to a God who made a covenant with David, and we're part of the, com the covenant community because he has given us David as our king. And two, he's trying to get them to see that they will only continue to be blessed by the Lord as they trust in him. And he's calling them to trust in him by not fighting against Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Do, you, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Wise counsel there. Um, nevertheless, Jeroboam and the people of Israel try to set an ambush against the people of Judah. And in verse 14b, we see the key here. The people of Judah 
under Abijah cried out to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. The men of Judah raised the battle shout. They, they go to it. They, they're trusting the Lord with, with their weapons in hand. And when they shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. See, what this passage is teaching us is that there are two groups. One group that is trying to follow the Lord. This would be Abijah and the people of Judah. And one group that is rejecting the Lord. And we're seeing so completely that the Lord would support the group who will rely on him. That we even get this detail here, this interesting detail. Not only do we see, this is a crucial detail here. It says, um, thus, verse 18, thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time. And the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Key verse there. But we also get this interesting detail that shows just the, the degree to which this chapter is meant to show us that reliance on the Lord will lead to victory. The Lord strikes down Jeroboam and he dies. We don't get the mention here that what actually happened was that Abijah died before Jeroboam. The text is written in such a way, not necessarily to suggest that Jeroboam dies before Abijah, but that it's more significant that Abijah's success is recorded in contrast to Jeroboam's failure. And so the chronicler is making it clear for us in today's passage that it's trust in the Lord that is the sole means whereby Abijah and the people of Judah are saved from their enemies. God would preserve the people of Judah, particularly so that he could bring the Messiah from the tribe of Judah into the world and save all of his people, including some of the people that we read about in today's passage. It's possible that Abijah is one of them. It's possible that a number of people of Judah were among that number. But if nothing else, the Messiah would come from Judah, and God was seeing to it that he would, that he did, in fact, because he has come. We live many years after this passage took place, and since this passage has taken place, the Messiah has come. God protected Judah so that you and I could have the opportunity to be brought into his family and experience his truest form of protection. Protection against all that really threatens to separate us from him. Especially, perhaps principally, our own sin. God has come, God the Son has come to deal with our sin and to bring us into right relationship with God, to protect us from being separated from that, from being destroyed, from anything really threatening that relationship with God the Father through the Son, that God the Holy Spirit has sealed us in to. We are people that ought to be grateful. But one other thing that I want to point out in light of this is that as Christians, we don't want to believe the lie that our obedience to God is irrelevant. You know, because we know that salvation through Jesus comes to us through faith in Jesus by grace. It's not a result of any works that we have done, as Ephesians chapter 2 makes clear. Even our faith is a gift from God. The faith that saves us, if we want to say it that way, it's come from God. It's in Jesus, the one who does the actual saving. All of it's from God. Our works, our obedience to God, don't play a single part in that salvation. 
but our works are still important and necessary, in fact. They're not meritorious. They don't merit our salvation, but they are necessary, and they are a source of blessing for us. And so we need to recognize that when we read a passage like this, that if we're pursuing the Lord as the people of Judah were doing, as Abijah and the people of Judah were doing, especially as they're trying to care for the men of Israel in the counsel that Abijah's offering, if we're pursuing the Lord in that way, it's going to lead to blessing. It's going to lead to blessing. Maybe not the blessing we expect it to, but it will lead to blessing. That's the paradigm. That's the structure of today's passage. Again, once more, the people of Judah and Abijah were obeying the Lord by following the means whereby God called them to worship him. We do that as well when we trust in Jesus and when we do the things that we've been commanded to do in the Bible, the things that Jesus has called us to do, which is to love the Lord by following his commandments, not the least of which are the Ten Commandments that we've been given in the Bible. As we follow the Lord and obey him, we're blessed, and our, the others are blessed as well. And I think we do well to remember that. One last time here from our passage. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Let's rely on the Lord, the God of our fathers, who is Jesus, along with the Father and the, Son, the Holy Spirit. Let's trust in that Lord and be blessed today as we obey him. Father, would you help this to be so for us? Would you help us to obey you, to trust you and to obey you? Trust and obey there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. May that be our priority today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a lot of rhyming going on there at the end in that prayer. But hopefully you'll have been blessed by this look at 2 Chronicles 13. And the truth that as we trust in the Lord, he delivers us from our enemies. And we are blessed because of it. Go confidently into the world, into God's world, with that truth in your hearts today. God bless.